Chapter Twenty Four of the Log of a Cowboy by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Back to Texas. The nearest railroad point from the Blackfoot Agency was Silver Bow, about a hundred and seventy five miles due south, and at that time the terminal of the Utah Northern Railroad. Everything connected with the delivery having been completed the previous day. Our camp was astir with the dawn in preparation for departure on our last ride together, as we expected to make not less than forty miles a day on the way to the railroad, and our wagon was lightened to the least possible weight. The chuck box, water kegs, and such superfluities were dropped, and the supplies reduced to one week's allowance, while beds were overhauled and extra wearing apparel of the outfit was discarded. Who cared if we did sleep cold and hadn't a change to our backs? We were going home and would have money in our pockets. The first thing I do when we strike that town of Silver Bow, said Bull Durham, as he was putting on his last shirt, is to discard to the skin and get me new togs to a finish. I'll commence on my little pattering feet, which will require fifteen dollar moccasins and then about a six-dollar checked cottonade suit, and top off with a seven-dollar brown Stetson. Then, with a few drinks under my belt and a rim-fire cigar in my mouth, I'd admire to meet the governor of Montana, if convenient. Before the sun was an hour high, we bade farewell to the Blackfoot Agency and were doubling back over the trail with Lovell in our company. Our first night's camp was on the muddy, and the second on the Sun River. We were sweeping across the tablelands adjoining the main divide of the Rocky Mountains like the Chinook winds which sweep that majestic range on its western slope. We were a free outfit. Even the cook and wrangler were relieved. Their duties were divided among the crowd and almost disappeared. There was a keen rivalry over driving the wagon, and McCann was transferred to the hurricane deck of a cow horse which he sat with ease and grace, having served an apprenticeship in the saddle in other days. There were always half a dozen wranglers available in the morning, and we traveled as if under forced marching orders. The third night we camped in the narrows between the Missouri River and the Rocky Mountains, and on the evening of the fourth day camped several miles to the eastward of Helena, the capital of the territory. Don Lovell had taken the stage for the capital the night before, and on making camp that evening, Flood took a fresh horse and rode into town. The next morning he and Lovell returned with the superintendent of the cattle company, which had contracted for our horses and outfit on the Republican. We corralled the horses for him, and after roping out about a dozen, which, as having sore backs or being lame, he proposed to treat as damaged and take at half price. The remuda was counted out, a hundred and forty saddle horses, four mules, and a wagon, constituting the transfer. Even with the loss of two horses, and the concessions on a dozen others, there was a nice profit on the entire outfit over its cost in the lower country, due to the foresight of Don Lovell in mounting us well. Two of our fellows, who had borrowed from the superintendent money to redeem their six-shooters after the horse race on the Republican, authorized Lovell to return him the loans and thanked him for the favor. Everything being satisfactory between buyer and seller, 
they returned to town together for a settlement, while we moved on south towards Silver Bow, where the outfit was to be delivered. Another day's easy travel brought us to within a mile of the railroad terminus, but it also brought us to one of the hardest experiences of our trip. For each of us knew, as we unsaddled our horses, that we were doing it for the last time. Although we were in the best spirits over the successful conclusion of the drive, although we were glad to be free from herd duty and looked forward eagerly to the journey home, there was still a feeling of regret in our hearts which we could not dispel. In the days of my boyhood, I have shed tears when a favorite horse was sold from our little ranch on the San Antonio, and have frequently witnessed Mexican children unable to hide their grief when the need of bread had compelled the sale of some favorite horse to a passing drover. But at no time in my life, before or since, have I felt so keenly the parting between man and horse as I did that September evening in Montana. For on the trail an affection springs up between a man and his mount, which is almost human. Every privation which he endures, his horse endures with him, carrying him through falling weather, swimming rivers by day, and riding in the lead of stampedes by night, always faithful, always willing, always patiently enduring every hardship, from exhausting hours under saddle to the suffering of a dry drive. And on this drive, covering nearly three thousand miles, all the ties which can exist between man and beast had not only become cemented, but our remuda as a whole had won the affection of both men and employer for carrying, without serious mishap, a valuable herd all the way from the Rio Grande to the Blackfoot Agency. Their bones may be bleaching in some coulee by now, but the men who knew them then can never forget them or the part they played in that long drive. Three men from the ranch rode into our camp that evening, and the next morning we counted over our horses to them, and they passed into strangers' hands. That there might be no delay, Flood had ridden into town the evening before and secured a wagon and gunny bags in which to sack our saddles, for while we willingly discarded all our other effects, our saddles were of sufficient value to return and could be checked home as baggage. Our foreman reported that Lovell had arrived by stage and was awaiting us in town, having already arranged for our transportation as far as Omaha, and would accompany us to that city, where other transportation would have to be secured to our destination. In our impatience to get into town, we were trudging in by twos and threes before the wagon arrived for our saddles, and had not Flood remained behind to look after them, they might have been abandoned. There was something about Silver Bow that reminded me of Frenchman's Ford on the Yellowstone. Being the terminal of the first railroad into Montana, it became the distributing point for all the western portion of that territory, and immense ox trains were in sight for the transportation of goods to remoter points in the north and west. The population, too, was very much the same as at Frenchman's, though the town in general was an improvement over the former, there being some stability to its buildings. As we were to leave on an eleven o'clock train, we had little opportunity to see the town, and for the short time at our disposal, barber shops and clothing stores claimed our first attention. Most of us had some remnants of money, while my bunkie was positively rich, 
and Lovell advanced us $50 apiece, pending a final settlement on reaching our destination. Within an hour after receiving the money, we blossomed out in new suits from head to heel. Our guard hung together as if we were still on night herd, and in the selection of clothing, the opinion of the trio was equal to a purchase. The rebel was easily pleased in his selection, but John Officer and myself were rather fastidious. Officer was so tall it was with some difficulty that a suit could be found to fit him, and when he had stuffed his pants in his boots and thrown away the vest, for he never wore either vest or suspenders, he emerged looking like an alpine tourist, with his new pink shirt and nappy brown beaver slouch hat jauntily cocked over one ear. As we sauntered out into the street, Priest was dressed as became his years and mature good sense, while my costume rivaled officers in gaudiness, and it is safe to assert two-thirds of our outlay had gone for boots and hats. Flood overtook us in the street and warned us to be on hand at the depot at least half an hour in advance of the train time, informing us that he had checked our saddles and didn't want any of us to get left at the final moment. We all took a drink together, and Officer assured our foreman that he would be responsible for our appearance at the proper time, sober and sorry for it. So we sauntered about the straggling village, drinking occasionally, and on the suggestion of the rebel, made a cow by putting in five apiece and had Officer play it on faro, he claiming to be an expert on the game. Taking the purse thus made up, John sat into a game, while Priest and myself, after watching the play some minutes, strolled out again and met others of our outfit in the street, scarcely recognizable in their killing rigs. The rebel was itching for a monte game, but this not being a cow town, there was none, and we strolled next into a saloon where a piano was being played by a venerable-looking individual, who proved quite amiable, taking a drink with us and favoring us with a number of selections of our choosing. We were enjoying this musical treat when our foreman came in and asked us to get the boys together. Priest and I at once started for Officer, who we found quite a winner, but succeeded in choking him off on our employer's orders, and after the checks had been cashed, took a parting drink, which made us the last in reaching the depot. When we were all assembled, our employer informed us that he only wished to keep us together until embarking, and invited us to accompany him across the street to Tom Robbins' saloon. On entering the saloon, Lovell inquired of the young fellow behind the bar, "'Son, what will you take for the privilege of my entertaining this outfit for fifteen minutes?' "'The ranch is yours, sir, and you can name your own figures,' smilingly and somewhat shrewdly replied the young fellow, and promptly vacated his position. "'Now two or three of you rascals get in behind there,' said old man Don, as a quartet of the boys picked him up and set him on one end of the bar, and let's see what this ranch has in the way of refreshment.' McCann, Quarternight, and myself obeyed the order, but the fastidious tastes of the line in front soon compelled us to call to our assistance both Robbins and the young man who had just vacated the bar in our favor. "'That's right, fellows,' roared Lovell from his commanding position as he jingled a handful of gold coins. "'Turn to and help wait on these thirsty Texans, and remember that nothing's too rich for our blood today.' 
This outfit has made one of the longest cattle drives on record, and the best is none too good for them. So set out your best, for they can't cut much hole in the profits in the short time we have to stay. The train leaves in twenty minutes, and see that every rascal is provided with an extra bottle for the journey. And drop down this way when you get time, as I want a couple of boxes of your best cigars to smoke on the way. Montana has treated us well, and we want to leave some of our coin with you. End of chapter 24 End of the Log of a Cowboy by Andy Adams Recording by Richard Kilmer Real Medina, Texas.